Hello everybody, I'm Simon Jensen. I'll be going on a field trip this summer, and I'll be reading Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may have long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You guys can run away now after we read those verses. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Isn't it kind of cool to see that many young people going? So be praying for them. Uh, just be listening for um, what they might need as we kind of move forward and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, it's kind of cool. So it, Simon just did a fantastic job reading our, our passage for the day. So if you take your Bibles, go there to Ephesians 6. I'm going to tell you right now that um, there is going to be some hardcore sprinting happening through this passage. Um, I've taught some parenting classes on this particular passage. Um, Obviously, it's an easy one to to spring out of, and it's been week upon week upon week, Um, and I'm going to try to pull it off in 32 and a half minutes, so um, buckle up. Let me me begin by saying a couple of things that I think are really important um, to kind of set the context. Remember, that as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing it out of a context of explaining to them what they have in Jesus Christ, right? So in him, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've got this inheritance. You've got the sealing of the spirit. You've got all these different things. And then after the first three chapters of just unpacking what it means to have life in Christ, he then says, and now walk like that's true. Live like that's true. And so then he, he walks through all of our relationships within the church, within our families. Last week we looked at husbands and wives. Today we get to look at parents and children. We're going to look at employee, employer next week and a few other different things. So, so there's all this. So, so he's writing that within the context. And, 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 I, and I do want to make sure I have a very unique position. Um, I'm aware of that. Um, I've been aware of that for over about 21 years now uh, as a pastor um, a lot of times what happens is my family um, becomes my resume. And that's terrifying. I love my family and my, my children. I mean, I, I adore them, and I, but I do also know that they're children. And so as I'm talking this morning, please know this. I'm talking about what Paul says, not about what I've experienced or been successful in. You all can look at me as a husband. You, you actually, as a husband, you see me on my worst day. This, this, this is trying to do all the stuff on Sunday and then interact with my wife. It tends to, to be embarrassing to myself, um, some of my behavior, and that's where God's refining me, ironically, during church. I'm also keenly aware of my failings as a dad. And I don't stand before you and claim anything else. What I stand before you and, and, and try to do is, is walk alongside you as a brother, because that's all I am. I'm a brother in Christ who's got a microphone and an incredible hairline. <laughs> I, know my, I know my failings. And what I want to do is not, uh, there is no bragging. You won't hear bragging. Um, but what I want to do is encourage you, because I know how hard parenting is. 
Parenting is difficult for a lot of reasons. Obviously, when we first become parents, we've never been parents before, so it's this new thing that we're trying to figure out. And ultimately, our goal, my goal at the beginning of my parenting was to let them live. There are days... Um, Mark and I have joked before, he's heard it, I've heard it, but our goal as parents is that our children would enter counseling for something different than we went to counseling for. (laughs) So it's progressed. We all screw up our children. It's just a matter of degree, right? And so, so it's difficult. We have a sin nature, they have a sin nature. It's this never-ending process of parenting. Um, Yeah, so it gets tough. And so when Paul comes right out of the gate and goes after the kids, you're like, yes. But what you have to recognize, parents, is that it is your responsibility to hold your child to what God is commanding them. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So what is obedience? Well, obedience is this, okay? See, see how you react. Okay, you ready? You don't have to have free hands, so get your hands free, okay? We'll see how you react. Ready? That's obedience. <laughs> obedience is reacting. It's, it is actually the same word that is used for answering the door in Scripture. The, hello? That's it. That's obedience. And what you need to understand, parents, is that immediate response that most of you had is what you need to be expecting of your children. Parents, disobedience in our children must never be acceptable. We need to expect and teach total obedience. So biblically speaking, you want to think about Genesis 22 when God told Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, the one you love, and bring him to the mountain and sacrifice him there for me. And the very next morning, Abraham rose up, got his son, got his stuff, and went. That's Obedience, total and immediate obedience. That's the biblical picture of it. We expect and must expect first-time obedience. Parents, what you accept is what you teach. What you accept is what you teach. So if your child knows that you are going to sit on the couch and yell three times before you finally get up, you have taught your child they don't need to obey the first time. And I'm going to be very clear. I learned, this is, <laughs> my wife is far better at that, has always been far better at that than I have. Um, and, and, she, and, and lovingly, she would ride me on that. And, and there was a moment in our parenting when Jordan was just a wee little dude. We went to a bank together. I parked the car over on the side. We walked in the, the, the sidewalk and walked in the front of the bank, did, did what we needed to do. We walked out of the bank and we opened the door and turned left and he made a beeline for the car. And as he was running, I just said, stop, Jordan. And because he listens to his mom more than he does his dad, I said, stop, Jordan. And he stopped immediately, and a car zipped by. And I got weak in the knees, literally. It was just like, (laughs) all right, I think I I need to expect first-time obedience a little more, not only because of the physical ramifications and consequences, but as Paul says, because this is right. What does that mean? Uh, I, I, there's a lot of options. I'm just time's sake. I'm just going to give you what it means. Because God said so. 
God never calls for us to do anything that would cause us harm. His commands are for our good and ultimately for his glory. So, so you are to obey, not because mom and dad are perfect, not because mom and dad are the supreme authority in your life, so you must bend the knee. You obey your parents because God is God. And even if mom and dad aren't worthy, God is. Parents, it is essential that we teach the proper motivation for obedience to our children. And that proper motivation is your obedience to God puts a smile on his face. Honor, sorry, children, obey your parents, Lord, because this is right. Continues, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. So what is honor? Honor means to set a high value on something. It means to treat it as if it was valuable. So that means not only children, but children. As you look at your parents, whether they be 40, 50, 60, 70, or aging and be much more holy and mature in their 80s, your responsibility is to honor your parents. So that means treat them carefully. Assign a value to them as if they are worthy of that honor. Speak kindly to them. Care for them. And along the way, you need to make decisions in your life that make it possible and easier for you to honor them. So, so I've met a number of people and spoken with a number of people that, in fact, the best decision for them to make in that area, the best way for them to honor mom and dad is to limit the interaction they have with mom and dad. I don't mean ghost mom and dad but being careful not to spend such extensive periods of time that you know it's going to lead to you dishonoring your parents. To honor your parents it means not only assign the value, speak kindly to them, care for them, treat them as if they have a high value, but it also means you've got to be prepared to disagree correctly. So, parents have opinions. Um, We are in that stage of life where our children are adulting, and as we watch that, we have opinions. But as parents, we need to do a good job of keeping those opinions in check, but we're not as careful as we should be all the time. So, So sometimes parents are very vehement about said opinions. So let me make up an example. You hear that, right? I'm making this up. (laughs) say you're 30 years old, your mom calls you one day and she is angry and frustrated, even belligerent about something that you absolutely must do for your children. Because if you don't do that for her grandchildren, you are irresponsible. You are a horrible parent. You're just asking for trouble. She wants you to buy them a horse. (laughs) Every time mom calls, she asks, did you buy that horse yet? What's taking you so long? Don't you know that kids without horses are in danger? (laughs) Buy the horse already. I mean, come on, look, everybody else is getting a horse. All of a sudden, your mom sounds like your kids. A response of dishonoring her would be on the phone screaming at her, just mind your business. That's dishonoring. But just as dishonoring would be taking your phone and pulling it away from your ear and looking at your own children going, (laughs) right? 
no matter how true it might be. (laughs) But on the flip side, honoring your mom in that stage of life doesn't mean buying the dumb horse. Honoring can be saying, Mom, listen, I, I appreciate your concern, your love for your grandchildren. We have made a choice to not buy the horse. I'd appreciate it if you would just let that be. And if she does, great. If she doesn't, then you are responsible in order to honor your mother to limit the conversation when it comes up for the sake of honoring her, for the sake of preserving the assigned value that God has given to her, not necessarily the deserved value or the earned value, but the assigned value. Again, honoring isn't ghosting her. It's just clearly explaining your position, why you feel this is necessary, and if necessary, making it abundantly clear, we're just not going to talk about that, Mom, because I love you and I want to honor you well. Just as disobedience must never be accepted, parents, dishonor must never be accepted. What you accept is what you teach. So moms, how do you let your children speak about your husband when he's not around? What you accept is what you teach. Dads, how do you let your children treat your wife? What you accept is what you teach. Moms, how do you speak about your husband in front of your children? Dads, how do you treat your wife? Both, how do you talk about your parents? Because the way that we teach our children most effectively how to honor you is by the way you treat your parents, you are setting the pattern. So, so it always amazes me, some, always amazes me sometimes. That's a, that doesn't make sense. It always amazes me. When I come into contact with people, are like, I just can't believe my children would dishonor me that way. And then you listen to them talk about their own mom and dad. You're like, how is that a surprise to you? I mean, you are patterning this for them. Would you want your children to treat you or talk to you or talk about you to your, their siblings the way that you treat or talk to or talk about your parents? See, it's funny, in this moment, Paul makes a transition. He starts, he's like, children, obey your parents, and then it gets real. Your children and your responsibilities to honor your parents. Now, I do need to deal with this, and this can be somewhat quickly, but I hope you understand that I can't just let this hang out there. Um, The promise that's given says, uh, honor your mother and father, It's the first commandment with a promise that promises so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So so what is that promise about? So so Paul is quoting Moses as he's speaking to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. It's actually in the same basic context of where the Ten Commandments are laid out. And he says to them, if you honor your parents, it's going to be richly rewarded You will receive a rich reward of both time and experience in the land that you have been eagerly awaiting. So, practically speaking, there are not a few moms and dads in this room who have said goodbye to their children far too early. There are not a few moms and dads who have seen their young people pass away. 
And, and, and the instinct and the gut response, and it's not wrong, is to go to God's Word and try to figure this out and say, listen, but, but God said right here that if you honor your parents, it has a commandment, it's a promise that it may go well with you, that you may have a long life in the land. So how do these things go together? So there's three options. One, God lied. Okay, good. Nobody was like, yes! Okay, good, good, no. That's a no. Second one, the kids weren't honoring their parents. Possible. But most likely, our definition of this reward, of, 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 <laughs> of it going well with you, our understanding of the long life in the land is incorrect. So please understand this. and It can be any town. Insert town here. If living in Union Bridge for a long time is your understanding of success, then you've missed the point in the entirety of Scripture. If your child living forever in New Windsor is like, yes, thank you for that reward, Lord. What? You have sold it so incredibly short. The picture of the promise, the blessing of God that he is promising is this. If you are willing to live a life that that demonstrates honoring of your parents. It means you understand how you've been redeemed and the cost of your redemption. If you're willing to yield yourself to the filling of the Spirit, so much so that you demonstrate it in a life of joy, a life of thanksgiving, a life of submission for the good of other people, and that plays out in this relationship with your parents, then God's plans and God's rewards for you will be lifelong enjoyment in the land that you've eagerly awaited. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't New Windsor. It's not Union Bridge. It's not even Israel. It's all of eternity face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't sell it short. Don't, don't hold up and be like, man, I just, and I know, I know, I know we want to be with our children. We want to hold them forever. I get that. But my goodness, don't forget the glory on the other side. Don't forget the glory on the other side. This, this idea of honoring our parents and, and receiving the reward from God as a result of honoring our parents contradicts the very lies of Satan that we hear every day, every moment of every day, which is, listen, if you just do this, and, and nobody will really notice and you'll get what you want. And God here is saying, no, you won't. Just, just live for this present moment right now. What does that gain you? It gains you nothing. But if you understand that, that as the Spirit continues to control your life, as you continue to yield to Him and His influence and His power over you, and then God's great rich reward in the end will be being eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. And it's just as important that parents understand that as the kids do. Because when you are parenting your child, you are trying to... <laughs> the danger is we can parent for peace and quiet right? I just need an hour. Watch Spongebob for an hour. Back in our day, it was, it was Blue's Clues, Bear in the Big Blue House. Some of you are going to be like, I can't get the song out of my head now. You're welcome. I just need an hour of peace and quiet. I don't care if you tear the place up, just get out of my hair for a while. And that is not the goal of parenting. You don't parent for the moment. You don't parent for the minute. You parent for the long haul. And in parenting for the long haul, what you're trying to do is you're, you're trying to teach your children how to arrive at this goal that Paul presents here. Not, again, not with the goal of getting peace and quiet. Not with the goal of making much of yourself. Parenting is incredibly inconvenient if you haven't figured that out yet. 
It's difficult, and it takes self-denial. And I'm here to tell you, it takes being controlled by and led by the Spirit of God in order to do it. All right. I wish I ran out of time, but I didn't. Verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So let's begin with this. Fathers. Why fathers? Why not, hey, moms and dads, or parents, why, why fathers? Well, it could be that the father is a representative of the parental unit in the home. Um, that's possible, but that, and that, that would mean, and this is absolutely true, parenting isn't just a mom's job. Um, it could be directed at the father because he is supposed to be the leadership in the home. It, there's a number of reasons. Why fathers? I don't know, and honestly, I don't care. Fathers, pay attention. And moms, now's not the time to take a nap because the principles are true for you too. And he begins by saying, don't provoke your children. Don't stir up anger in your children. That word provoke or stir up anger is a compound word, and it means to anger alongside. So the picture in my head is those goofy cartoons where you got the big tough dog, and the little yippy one, and it's jumping all over the big one. And it's like, everybody, what do we do? What do we do? And finally, the big one just gets sick of it, just like, bam, right? That's the picture of provoking or stirring up to anger. Don't be the little yippy dog who's just doing this over top of the dog the whole time. Exasperating them is what Colossians says. Now, please understand this. It doesn't mean never make your children mad. You heard that, right? The Bible does not teach parents they should never make their children mad. If you somehow get this view in your mind that the Bible teaches you should never make your children mad, please, please, please do not invite me to your house for dinner. Okay? He says, don't stir up anger in your children. How do we stir up anger in our children? There's a lot of ways. We run through a mess of them. Obviously, abuse. If you abuse your child, you are violating a number of scriptures, not the least of which is this one. Absence. If you are absent from your child's life, whether that be physically, emotionally, even spiritually, you will stir up anger in your child. Living vicariously through your child Stage moms, dads are notorious for this in sports. Uh, and, and the problem is the, the guy who often pushes his child so hard to succeed in sports that the kid, that boy can just be just like me. Usually, that guy was more of a bench warmer than a baller. And he's destroying his child. Allowing yourself to become child-centered. And I I think this one's easy for us to slip into because that is the modern-day Dr. Spock. The modern-day Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil all tell us, man, you, you just revolve your life around this child. And the problem with that is the moment that you allow your life to become child-centered and you set that child in the middle of everything you do, you schedule your entire life around that child. Everything obeys the child's schedule. The problem is you are teaching them that they're the center of the universe. And God forbid they should go to college or get a job and find out they're not. You have set them up for failure. 
We live in a culture that is seeing that played out. How do you stir up anger in your child? Inconsistent discipline. That's usually a result of emotionally based discipline. If mom's in a good mood, all kinds of grace. Mom's in a bad mood, watch out. How else do you stir up anger in your child? Injustice. This one I had to learn. Um, (laughs) So injustice in a lot of ways, like you treat one better than the other, sure. But the way I'm applying it is, I used to do this, I was notorious for doing this. The kid would watch a, a bear in the big blue house, just to go back to that, okay? And they'd be 25 minutes into it. There'd be another five minutes left and be like, all right, turn it off. It's time for dinner. And they're like, but we don't know if we find shadow. Man, the kid is emotionally invested. What's wrong? Come on. And I learned that the hard way, so injustice. The other one, and I admitted this to you years ago, and I'm going to wrap back around because I feel like I should. Um, One of the ways that I had stirred up anger in my children was unfulfilled promises. I know it surprises you, but I tend to talk first, think second. Um, but years ago, we had made a promise to our children about going to Hershey Park, and, and life got in the way. It happens. Um, but up until, I mean, that, but that was, I mean, we had a seven-year delay. Um, we went. We went. Uh, had a great time. I mean, enough where I got to watch one of my children pass out on a ride. It was cool. <laughs> you know you're in trouble when the kid's laughing hilariously and then dead silent. Um, but, but when, when you have unfulfilled promises to your children, what you are teaching them is you are not trustworthy. And when you are not trustworthy, then it causes all of this insecurity and angst in their soul. What do they do with that? Parents, keep your word. Another way we stir up this frustration in them is the intolerance of their failures. And there's two ways to look at that one. The first is this. We refuse to accept that your child could possibly fail. It's never their fault. It's always somebody else's. And as a result, instead of giving them an accurate view of themselves, you're working to build up their self-esteem. The problem is when you build up self-esteem on lies, that's not self-esteem. That's a recipe for disaster. Your children are going to fail. Big time. But if you don't allow them to endure their own failures, they won't ever be able to enjoy their own successes. And then that grows into this performance-based love, where I've got to, I've got to, I've got, that's, that's where we have a friends, or a couple of friends, and we can't have to call any individuals out, uh, who have worked and grown up in the pageant world. That's it. My kid's perfect. My kid's amazing. I'm going to prop them up. And it's like... So so you refuse to accept your child could ever be less than perfect. You refuse to accept the fact that your child could possibly fail. But you also can reject them when they do fail. They come home with a report card and you're like, what is this garbage? A C? And some of us are like, a C would be amazing. (laughs) Right? Right, yeah. Listen, 
Failure is acceptable as long as they weren't lazy, they weren't quitting, they acted with integrity, and they did their best. And if those things happened, I don't care what the grade is. We're getting ice cream. Another way we stir up wrath in our children is a lack of repentance and seeking forgiveness. Without you doing it, why would they come to you and confess their sin and seek forgiveness? How would they even know how to do it if you've never shown them? Hey, in case you need a reminder, and I don't know that you do, but just in case, there's only one sinless, perfect, spotless one. His name is Jesus. It ain't you. So you are going to sin against your children, even when they're little. Get over yourself. But I've got to protect the... the no, you don't. What you need to do is own it. Fall on your face before them and ask for their forgiveness. Provoke them to anger um, through indifference towards relationships with them. Uh, maybe maybe explaining, explaining this will be a little bit easier. You need to have a um, relationship with your children where they know that you would like them even if they weren't your kids. And we've done this before um, in here, and I won't do it again, but, but we, we know that our parents love us. We question if they like us. Of course your parents love you. They have to. They're your parents. It's in the contract. They don't let you take them home from the hospital unless you sign it like, yes, I will love them. <laughs> but do you like them? Well, how do you get to like somebody? You spend time with them. You have fun together. You laugh together. You, you sit there and do nothing together. You, you make fun of foolishness together. And knowing that your parents love you isn't half as important as feeling like they like you. We provoke our children to wrath through rejecting their very different personalities, usually different than you. Please understand this. Preference choices are acceptable. Moral choices, not acceptable. There's only one. So, so you can, they can be different than you. They can't be different than God. The way this has fleshed out in my home I told him I wasn't going to use any examples about them today on purpose, but I think this one's safe. I owe them all lunch. I'm saying that publicly, okay? The way this has played itself out in our home, the preferences, the, the different than you is okay, different than God is not. I had to get good with it. I think I'm good with it, but that's going to be a challenge, and they're going to take me in and see what happens. But hair color. Uh, okay, so, so my daughters like to change their hair color. That's cool. That's cool. My college-age son goes to another daughter's house to visit. He comes back with a different hair color. Now, the only... Jordan has never changed his hair color. That's a lot because he's got my hair. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it's like, uh, so that's really a challenge. It's like, all right, you know what, though? You know what, though? It's okay. It's okay. Different than me is okay. They love Jesus. We'll be fine. No matter what color their hair is. And it gives me opportunity to make fun of them. So it's good. I think um, I'm about out of time, so I think I'm going to end with this one. One of the ways we provoke is we, we tend to lack praise and encouragement in our relationships with them. We're, there's, a, there's a lot of us who are really good at the critical, but, but we whiff at the positive, right? 
Um, and if you think about your own parents just for a second, most of us would say without hesitation, I, I would have loved mom and dad to be better at that. So, so be better at that yourself. So that was encouraging, wasn't it? <laughs> you and I have got to be discipling our children. So look, look at the end of this. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We must be discipling our children. We must be bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And when I say we must be discipling our children, we must be bringing them up in the instruction and the training of the Lord. We is not the church. It's funny, you're all like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, but you don't live like that. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with dozens of you, but I want to bring my kids so that you can teach them about Jesus. Patrick has had to do that. Jen has had to do that. Stop it. It's your job. We're supposed to come alongside you, encourage you, help you, support you. This is your job. Don't give it to anybody else. You need to be training them, giving them information, giving them the basic knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. You need to take the philosophies of the world that are continuing to beat them up wherever they find themselves. You need to contrast it with scripture with them and help them see the difference. And if you need help, come, we'll give you help, but it's still your job. You, you do this. You disciple by, by training them, by, by living it out in front of them. That's the, the basic gist of this discipling thing. You live, they watch. Now, here's the scary thing. It's already happening. They've already been watching you up to this point. You don't have a fancy curriculum. Don't have books, no assignments, no lectures. The children should all go, amen. <laughs> no, no. You disciple them by walking Worthy. (laughs) Do not give up. If God commanded it, he must be obeyed. Then his command can be obeyed, no matter how difficult it might seem. If he said do it, and we do it, the results are on him. We've done our part. Now it's time for him to do his part. Um, this, this is where, let me put this in front of you, Galatians 6 comes into play. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he is also going to reap because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let me stop right there and then tell you this. So this is what parenting is all about. Listen, God's never going to be fooled You put a seed into the ground, you're going to get the fruit. And if you put apple seed in the ground, you're going to get, not oranges, apples. Shocker. Here's another thing. The seed looks vastly different than the fruit. So don't don't get tired. Don't get tired. You just keep putting the seed in. You keep putting the seed in. The fruit's going to come out. But look, I feel like I'm doing what's right. I feel like this week, I mean, I listened to you on Sunday, and on Monday, I sat down with the children and apologized, and on Tuesday, I, 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 I prayed for my children in front of them, and I, and I didn't let them go, and on Wednesday, they misbehave. Okay, um, I know, we got a lot of farmers here. 
And I'm certain every one of us sitting in this room knows that you can't put a seed in on Sunday and expect the fruit to pop out on Wednesday. If you're seeing fruit popping out, it's from seed that you planted weeks and even months ago. It's the same principle that he's saying here. Today's circumstances are a result of past choices. You're not, you're not reaping this week's sowing. You're reaping the seeds that you have sown for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But the promise goes, let us not get tired of doing good. We will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. <sighs> if we don't give up. Frank, you make it sound like it's so easy. Nope. It's not. It's not. But we're commanded to do something. And I'm as confident as I could ever be that if God has commanded me to do something and I do it, that he will take care of the rest of the process. It's, it's, and I've used this before, but it's Psalm 126. Psalmist uses a picture the farmer going out into the field carrying his bag of seed, the last bag of seed. It says, those who sow in tears are going to reap with shouts of joy. The, the one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed. So get the picture. He's walking in his field with the last bag of seed that he has. He's got nothing in reserve. He's holding nothing back. He's going to keep dropping the seed. And it says he's sowing seed and he's crying because he knows if this doesn't grow, he and his family have absolutely nothing to go back on. We are destitute. We will starve to death. We have nothing. The beauty of God's promise is if you sow the seed that God has commanded you to sow, oh, he will surely come back with shouts of joy as he carries the harvest. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's hard. And as soon as that seed leaves your hand, the consequences are no longer yours. They're on him. And he can be trusted. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our children. Thank you for the challenge it is to parent Father, I pray that we would be up to that challenge, that we would not give up, that we would not give in, but that we would continue to seek to, to please you with our obedience. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So as we, as we close up here, <clears throat> let me share something with you real quick. In my study, one of the things that I had to wrestle with was why do our, some of our children walk away? Right? And, I, and obviously I could talk about that for another half an hour. I'm not going to. Um... I think one of the real reasons our children walk away is because oftentimes we hit stages like this with the farmer, right? We go out and we're sowing in tears. And we come back to the house, we're like, life is so hard. I can't believe God would make me do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And our children see that. But we forget to dance in front of them. We forget to walk back in the house in front of them and go, you're not going to believe what God did today. And so all our children see is that maybe it's not worth serving God. Hey, folks, may I propose to you that if you have been forgiven, redeemed, rescued, 
declared righteous, promised an inheritance that is unspeakably large, given a hope that Jesus is going to make all things new. May I propose that if those gifts have been given to you and those are yours, you should be dancing a lot more. Our children need to see joy. So can I tell you something? I I don't know your current state, but I know that if you're in Jesus Christ, you have no reason to sit and be quiet this morning. So I'm going to encourage you where you are to stand and sing and celebrate what it is we have in Jesus Christ.